Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Well, hello. This is me pretending to be Karen Sander because my, I'm Isabel Kirk and my special secret surprise guest today is... Karen Sander. This is the, I was going to say the pot calling the kettle black, but it's got nothing to do with that. English is very hard language. It's wonderful to be interviewing you. Do you want to say anything and yeah. say hello to the people listening? I just butted in before. I'd love to say hello. Izzy, you've just turned the tables on me today. Yes, that's right. Because there you sit. And in your intro, there you are saying that your desire is to inspire and all these wonderful people that you're hearing all their variety of stories and so on. How many people would you say you've sat opposite now? I have sat opposite you, mate, number 31. Wow. That's in one year. So that's incredible. Did you imagine that you would be doing that? No, I didn't. I did do community TV for a little while for Joy's World. Yeah. And you remember Joy I Ruby. Do. I do remember And that. we turned Joy's World also into Aging Fearlessly. So I ran the two of them for her for the last 12 months. In the few months leading up to Joy passing away, we closed the studio down because it was all too hard. Mm. There was just too much going on. And after she passed away, I had a bit of a break and I started to think, maybe I could do radio. Mm. And do you find radio very? Di- oh, sorry, I interrupted no, no, you. What you could go, say. Do I find radio very different from the telly? I actually enjoy it more. Why is that? For me, because I can. And this sounds like I'm a control freak, but I can. I can. I am a control freak. No, you're not. I can turn up here with mm. myself and a guest yeah. and do radio, uh, and get the same result. I can get a story without having to have a cameraman and sound and other people around and it's very fiddly and then someone else had to edit it. So I can edit this myself if I need to, not that I always do, but if I need to and I actually enjoy the banter more, you know, your facial expressions, everything. You're not you're not thinking about what the camera's seeing. You can to me you can be more yourself. Do you, do you find it more intimate? I do find it really intimate. I, I find it's a lot more relaxed and that people give you more. I think it's the most exquisite medium in the whole wide world, radio. I like it even more than um, just conversation over, you know, even over a drink or something. I think there's, there's something about listening to somebody on, on radio. I always think I'm just talking to uh, one little old lady. I don't know why it had to be a little old lady. One little person listening to me in her kitchen and she's got the radio really close. So, I mean, with the mic as close as we've got them now, it's so private somehow. It is. It's like you're talking to – well, I'm talking to you 
you're talking to me at the moment because you're interviewing me. But I, I say again, you are like you are communicating to someone in their own home and they don't have to view you. It's almost as just, if they're overhearing you, yeah. though, when it's radio. And I think sometimes it's just one little thing that might inspire someone to change something in their life. And some of my guests, are, they're all interesting. Don't you? Everyone's interesting and everyone has a great story or some lesson that we can teach. And I'm not lecturing, but example, Ken, who, Ken Murphy, the fireman, who came in to talk about safe-proofing your house from fire and what do you do in the case of fire and that was all for the over 50s and so hopefully I'm helping someone to think well I haven't changed my smoke alarm I haven't got a fire extinguisher in my house and I should have one Mm. that's the advice that they give and all those little tips and again Dr Michelle talking about going to hospital and why people end up in the emergency room and Dr. Ray Hodgson talking about prolapse and women's health and what he's doing overseas. And all these things to me are sharing something, that one little thing that might give the listener or might spark something within them to do something and make a difference in their life. And what about for you personally? Has there ever been a moment when sitting opposite somebody like this and you've been talking to them or they've said something that's resonated, oh, that's a, such a wanky word, but that's touched you deeply or changed you. Yeah, there has been. Have you ever been brought to tears? Or Yeah, I think some of the stories when you hear that, you know. Are you that, able to say what? Yeah, well, I, I had Catherine DeVry in here a few months ago and her story about her life and being left at birth in a hotel room and finding herself adopted with a family. And that was a wonderful story, her beginning of life and and travelling through life. And, and really, it's what's made her the person she is. But, you know, both people, both her, her parents, her adoptive parents, passing away when she was probably only in her late teens, early 20s, and again, finding herself alone and coming to Australia and starting a new life was incredibly moving. And what about um, moving. that touched you? particularly? Well, it's just about how someone's challenges in life and how they face those challenges in life. And it's, I'm a, I'm a quite emotional person mm. and a lot of things bring me to tears. Uh, interviewing also Thomas Keneally and Tenterfield Sadler mm. and he was talking about that song and watching his face while that music was being played, that song was being played and he was just so in the moment of listening to the music and I try and think about what are they, you know, just watching them in the moment. But I'm more interested, I'm interested in them, of course, but I'm more interested in you. How has this, have you changed over this period of interviewing people? Has there, would you be the same person now if you hadn't done those interviews? Well, I'm going to go one step back. When I did a course called Key Person of Influence five years ago and then through that course wrote my book, there was five sections to that course, the five Ps, and one of them was publish. My family had always said to me, my mum and dad, you have to write a book one day because I used to write letters Mm. home when I was travelling overseas just for personal travel but when I was on film sets and with kids – 
and I'd write letters and I can remember writing one to a principal of a school and it was that I used to teach at and it was the A to Z of Chinese toilets. <laughs> and I can't even begin to imagine, oh, can you? Well, I don't think more? I could even recite what that A to Z was now, but it was they laughed when they got it. They thought here they were at a staff meeting reading the A to Z of the Chinese <laughs> toilets and my travels through China. Those sort of things and then writing the book that I wrote and publishing and the journey from there has changed me incredibly. I am not the person I was five years ago. And is that partly because of the people that you've interviewed? Have they influenced you? That's all the what I'm people, wondering. All the people I've interviewed have influenced me but it's given me the confidence to know that I'm okay and I think knowing that you're how, okay... How did, how did that happen? I... People find it hard to believe, Izzy, but I was shy as a kid mm. and I, I lacked confidence. I was the freckle-faced. I used to think I was very unattractive. I wasn't particularly intelligent. I did okay at school, but in my eyes, I think I was, yeah. You, you view yourself very differently mm. to how other people view you. And Where did you grow up? Where, where were you I grew up over near La Perouse. I oh. went to La Perouse Public School oh, yeah. and Matraville High. And the audience knows, the listeners know, if they've listened to me, my father always calls it the finishing school for young ladies. Once you've been there, you were finished. Right. And Is that where your mum and dad came from? Uh, dad was originally from the UK but grew up around Kensington, the what, eastern what, suburbs. What brought him out here? Uh, his father was Australian, his mother was English and he was born over there and mm-hmm. then they moved back when he was So he five. met your mum over there? Over here? No, yeah, she was Australian. He met her much how, later. How he was five when he came here He oh, never, okay. and he never went back to the UK in all his life and Is he passed right? away at 86. Wow. So I think meeting all those people over the years through my writing and through radio and community TV has pushed me to do things that I would never have dreamed of doing. Mm. In a moment, I'd like to hear your first song, which we've kept a surprise. And I'd also like to know about your mum and dad and what made you the person that you are. It sounded from what you said, if they're saying to you you should write a book, that there was a lot of love and support there, or am I misreading that? Uh, Well, dad was a taxi driver, Mm -hmm. and he was really good at telling stories. I'll Uh, bet. And the stories, like I used to love his stories about him growing up near Ramwick Racecourse and the things that they did and riding on the running boards of trains and selling papers and collecting bottles and he always said he still had his first play lunch money and of course he was a bit tight with it and but my mum came from a family where she had five brothers and sisters and she was the youngest. Catholic family? No Mm. and uh, her her father died when she was around two right. and they were very poor and by the time mum married... How did she meet your dad? Um, in the Blue Mountains, on he was on a weekend with his mates on a motorbike and oh. she was up there with some girlfriends and there was three years difference in their age and I think he lied about his age. But uh, <laughs> And so... Did she look like you, your mum? No, my sister looks more like her. I look more like my father, but with red hair. He had very dark hair. I, I think that um, mum, mum's, mum's family, all her middle brothers and sisters, had passed away by the time I was 10. So there was only mum and her eldest brother 
who was 20 years senior. I didn't meet him till I was 21. Wow. So the family, part of the family drifted apart. But So it wasn't a tight family that you grew up in? But Our family was tight, but her family, no, not so, you know. Mm. She, there was a lot of tragedy in mum's mum's family in terms of a father dying young, one brother died after spending three days in an iron lung, polio, oh. and her sister fell out of a car and died. And her other sister died from a stroke. Oh, she was quite young, probably in her 30s. So there was a lot of of tragedy. And I've often wondered with mum how she's been the strong person she is. You know, she's had a lot of tragedy in in her life. And, yeah, she she came through it all. Is she religious? What do you think she drew? No, not religious. She Mm. loves books. Mum, Mum was a person that... She's very intelligent, yet never had the opportunity. Mm. So, like so many women of that sort of that era. You became a bookkeeper yeah. or a typist. Yeah, yeah. She knew how to swear too. Did she? Oh, yeah. When anything went wrong, she went, <laughs> oh, don't wow. ever let me hear you say that. Right. Do as I say, not as I do. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so was it a family that gathered around and told stories or – when Dad went- worked very hard. He he worked a lot of hours and mum went back to work when I was about 12. But no, Dad used to just tell stories when he was among friends, you know. Was friends he funny? came over. He was like my friends always say, oh, your dad was so funny. But yeah. Mm. And that might be where you get your sense of humour from. I'm very like my dad. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like my dad, yeah. What's your first song? Do you remember Jane Austen Book Club? Yeah. The last song they play, the closing scene, is Dance Me to the End by Madeline Perrault. Oh, when why I do you wa- like this? Well, when I watched, it's very jazzy, when I watched the movie and I heard the song, I said to my nieces then who were about 18, I said, I want to know that song and who wrote it so because I wasn't so tech savvy then and they looked it up and found it and I've always loved it and I have seen her live in Australia to fantastic artist and I'm sure you probably don't know this song do you no well probably not would you like me to play it for you well I'd love that you are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3 your community radio station. So during that song, Karen's sitting there playing the keyboard saying, oh, I'd love to be able to play the keyboard. And I love that sexy sax. And you played the sax. Oh, I had a go for a little while. I can't say that I... It's got to be one of the hardest (laughs) instruments ever. It probably is. But having learnt the recorder as a child, the sax has many of the same basic notes... The Except hardest, what about the embouchure and the, it's the reed and the yeah. yeah and I did a lot of squawking, <laughs> and it was really hard to get to find the balance of of using your lips and feeling it. And I think I did went. Did you have through, lessons or just? I had lessons. Mm. I think for anyone that takes up a musical instrument later in life, you really have to be very passionate about it, and you really have to practice. And the hardest thing is finding the people to practice with because it's just difficult. The reason I love the saxophone, I worked in Poland on a kid's film for 
well, I was up there three times in the 90s for quite a length of time and I used there was a lot of busking. Mm. The musical students in Krakow used to come out and busk on the street at night to make money to afford their music lessons through uh-huh. the university. And, oh, some of them, I just used to sit in the gutter, you know, and listen to them play because the nights were very long. Sun, daylight was till 10, 11 yeah. at night. Yeah. And some of them were just beautiful musicians and I I just after dinner I'd just go out and wander what a fabulous atmosphere what a great picture you're painting there yeah it was beautiful beautiful life it was a wonderful time up there why was that what was apart from that what did you love about it Poland well traveling with a film crew is very different and at night it's often quite nice to get away Poland's a place I would never have chosen on the map to go Mm. And a friend of mine once said to me, why would you go to Poland? There's no surf. Obviously, he was a surfer. (laughs) And no, there's not surf, but there's a really rich culture in Poland. They love vodka. They love dancing. Dancing, uh, dance parties or whatever, You was like going and you you danced arm in arm and you did jazz and jive and it was really fabulous. I really enjoyed it. You still love dancing. Don't you? I like to so dance, but mm. I'm not a natural dancer. I was talking to the, to one of the girls at swimming the other day about natural dancers. You've, you've either got it or you haven't. But a lot of a lot of women who learn as children, they learn moves that sort of stay with their body. Mm. And I haven't got that natural um, that natural movement because I was a swimmer and a horse rider, not um, not a my my mum never invested in dance lessons for us. But did you sort of dance around to music when you were a teenager? Yeah, a lot of jigging around. And it was in the days of, oh, what was that music in the 20s that we used to? In oh, the 20s? Um, in my 20s, there was a type oh, of music. Okay, not the 1920s. She's oh, not that old. Yeah, I not can't old. remember, but it was mm. a very popular, you know, bumping hips, the bump and oh, yeah, things like yeah, anyway. Yeah. So you, you were swimming when you were a kid. When, when did you start swimming? I learnt to swim when I was six, which was pretty standard back then. However, by being I, thrown in or gently? no, we had a lesson with we had lessons over at San Susie with a guy called Frank Patterson and in his backyard pool. And well, first of all, it started in Ramsgate Ocean or on Botany Bay, and I hated that. It was like, ugh. Mm. But we moved to his backyard pool, but. By the time I was eight, we were racing. And when I say racing, we weren't training. We were just – we. mum used to make us swim a lot of laps, but we were racing. And we, my sister and I were pretty reasonable swimmers for people that weren't training early in our lives. Did Does she still swim? Yes, she does. Mm. Um, she's got back into it. So does she come down and swim? No, but she would like swimming? to one day because she doesn't live in Sydney, so uh-huh. – but she would like to come and swim with us one day. And tell me more about the horsey you. Well, where I grew up at Little Bay, La Perouse, mm. there was lots of land and some of our friends had horses and my sister was introduced to horse riding through her best friend and in the end Dad caved in and bought us a horse. No. Yes, and then we, he bought us a You've second. You've had the world's most idyllic childhood. I know. 
But we used to race through the sand hills chasing the army ducks what? and race up and down the beach and swim our horses. Horses. It was a really interesting life out there at La Perouse. I mean, yeah. as far as sporting community, you know, some of the, the, the Australia's greatest, the Ella boys and Russell Fairfax, they all came from out that way. Um, and all went to school at Matraville. See, I La think Perouse. of La Perouse as, you know, factory, or well, not factory so much, but, you know, those the, the, the where the ships come in and all the well, sort see, of ports. Well, see, that's what it is. That didn't happen till I was in my 20s and we'd moved away by then. Oh, Botany, right. um, Botany, it was, yeah. uh, it was just a... Sand Hills. And I know Sand there was Hills a movie, are... one of the first Australian movies was made there, I think. Yeah. Where they had to pretend they were in so, the Sahara. you know, my father's best friend or one of his best friends was a snake man and had the snake pit down at La Perouse and the Timberies and all the, the Aboriginal boys and girls down there sold and boomerangs. And it was really, it, it was Sounds, a bit of a tourist yeah. and interesting place to grow up. I, I'm very grateful that I grew up there. And what time did you, when did you leave? Left when I was just finished my HSC, so I was 17. I was very young finishing school. Mm. And, uh, and where did you go then? I went to Teachers College in in Sydney first, and then I transferred up to Armadale. Cause did my you miss family, home? Uh, yeah, I did. But I think it's good for you to go. Mm. I, I think it's a natural progression. Yeah. What's your next song? My next song. And this is a surprise for me too. Have you heard of Emma Pask? Wow, no. Emma Pask is a jazz singer. She was on The Voice about wow. three or four seasons ago. The first time I saw her was with James Morris, Morrison at the basement. Have you been to the basement? Yeah, yeah. And a I friend loved, of mine used to own the basement, run the basement. Mm. You might be getting an idea that I like jazz. Yeah. I, I do. I really love jazz. I'll just play Emma Pass for you and you can tell me what you think. Sure, I love it too. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. Why do you love that song? What do you like about it? I love the tone of her voice, but I love the way she can scat. Mm, yeah. You know, like Ella. Yeah, she's, yeah. Uh, and she's very soothing to me to listen to. It's like put your feet up on the table Put your head back, close your eyes and listen. Very silky voice. Mm. I was surprised when you said during that song that she was on the voice. I always think of the voice things as those sort of brittle little voices, but that's a real soul voice. Yeah, unfortunately she didn't go through to the end because I really believe that she has... The voice, but one that of the voices. Yeah, that's not the sort of voice they're looking for on those kinds no, of things. No, they're not. No. And yeah. But she's very, very different. But jazz always appeals to me. There's something sexy, like the saxophone, the sexy sax and the sexy jazz. And, yeah. and there's some jazz I love to move to. And, and dance and around semi, at home. You know, things that are, yeah, not even... Not complete, you know, a bit of a mix between jazz and other. It can be mm. really good to do modern jive dances too. Yeah. You were talking also about listening. I was really interested. I wanted to ask you more about that. You were saying that um, 
partly because of doing these interviews and so on, that you've changed in your depth of the ability to listen or am I imposing? No, not at all. So I've been in sales for 18 years now Mm. and one of my um, managers many years ago said to me, you always win if you listen, Karen. And especially when someone's really angry Mm. and they're firing at you full on, just look them in the eye and just listen. Don't say a word, just listen, because they will eventually calm down. But the minute you interject, they it fires them up again. If you go but mm. and start to but we do, you know, it's, it's not effective. You're never going to win if you do that. And then through him saying that and then me starting radio, I learnt that by listening – you picked up so much more obvious. That's an obvious statement, but really listening to every word someone says. Yeah, really active And just jotting down. As you notice in my writing a lot of the time, I'm talking to you because you might say something when I'm interviewing you that I really pick up as a key to want to talk to you about. You've just given me an inkling of something that I would like to grab onto and take another step. And I just love listening to people because – like you talk about stories, uh, I learn and get great stories from people by listening. Mm. And do, do you find yourself using that skill just socially as well? Yeah, I'm much better at it. Um, the part I really – do you find this, Izzy? I have the biggest trouble remembering names because I'm looking at someone and saying hello and I'm not absorbing the name. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to go to Dr Google – my favourite browser, yeah. and I'm going to try and find some keys to helping me remember people's names. Yeah, yeah, but the th- that, that awful thing about say their name immediately and then repeat it three more times in the next minute, it always just sounds so foul, forced. But I suppose if it works, then yeah, my father used to say, you can't pay somebody a greater compliment than to remember their name, and in a way I suppose that's true. Yeah, and one of my guests, Annie Girton, always talks about with the human givens – Uh, there's like 10 or 12 human givens, things we must have for survival. And one of them is for speaking and people saying your name and connecting. Mm. It's very important for survival and and feeling a part of something. And what do you think about everybody being on their iPhones and things like that? Do you think that's a connection? Do you think... I mean, I was talking to my son about it. He said, that's how we connect. I'm connecting with heaps of people then. I went to a coffee shop today at lunchtime and I put my phone in my handbag and I stared into space. I was on my own and I had coffee on my own. I was just staring. I wasn't staring at anyone. I was just staring and in my own thoughts. And I was really pleased I didn't pick up my phone because it becomes an automatic habit. You just pick it up to have a look. And why? Mm. And there's also a rule in business about, and nobody obeys this, by the way, about only checking your emails morning and night. But that's not the expectations of managers these days. They you, they send an email, they want you to answer it really quickly. Mm. But to be effective in your work, you shouldn't always be um, tuned into every email that's coming through. Do you think the um, there seems to be more suicides and things now with young people? Do you think uh, – my son would not agree with me at all – um, that being on an iPhone 
is a form of isolation. I'm wondering whether human animals need the human contact, need to smell and what we're doing now, conversation with one another, um, in order to survive. And that being isolated with, with his selfies and all of that is leading to depression and, and a feeling of loneliness. I just think we're too connected all the time. I, I think that... What do you I, mean? I'm, I'm... Well... I'm just trying to think what – I think we we rely too much on our phones and the, it's almost like it's an entertainment source and that we have to be entertained and it's very hard for people to go sit on a rock and stare into space or – I mean, we're forced in the morning to swim and I do a lot of thinking when I swim. Mm. I'm very creative when I swim mm. and if you've given me a problem to try and sort out before I go in for a swim – I'll be doing it for the next 40 minutes while I'm in the water. Really? Yeah, it's just, or it's a time I reflect and it's mm. a time I listen to my body and I like to flow. And I don't think we do that enough with phones now that we're always thinking, oh, did I miss a call? Oh, mm. who's called me now? Oh, do I have to do this? Oh, do I have to post that? Yeah. I'm not particularly good at Facebook because no. I get, I just get over it sometimes about posting. So. Hmm. Do, you, do you have that thing where, you know, other people's lives much more interesting than mine on the, the, the Facebook thing? No, but I do get a bit of FOMO. Yeah. That fear of missing out, yeah. it it's really is true. I think it's a deep animal thing. I, I was reading somewhere, though, JOMO. I have JOMO, the joy of missing out, and I have to keep trying to say to myself, I have JOMO, I have JOMO. Yeah, well, I heard Jomo and the guy. Do you know how Jomo came about? No. So there was a gentleman whose wife was pregnant and he had tickets to go and see Prince. And on the night of the Prince concert, his wife went into labour and he had to take her to the hospital and their child was born. So he said that was the joy of missing out, was he actually <laughs> had a child, um, right. came into the world, even though he really wanted to be at the Prince conference. But sometimes I think it's nice if you are missing out on something, just to remind yourself that it, you don't have, as you were saying, you don't have to be a part of everything to be alive. No, and sometimes missing out is a good thing. You, sometimes it's just nice to be in your own company. I actually, Izzy, really like my own company now. Do you? Yeah, I do. Well, why did you say now? Is it, I never used changed? to like my... I always had to be around people, mm. but I do enjoy my own company. What did you change? How did you do that? I just think it came with confidence and understanding that I was okay and not trying to be out there to prove it or to run away from myself. I think sometimes I used to run away from myself that being around people didn't allow me to think about the things that were bothering me. Mm. But now I don't mind. If things are bothering me, then I can sit and try and work it out or I can relax and let it just go. And when when did you start making that shift? Probably in my 50s. Took a while. I wasn't a very uh, relaxed person until in my 50s. Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting that um, relaxation didn't come. It was. It's not first nature to me. Yeah. I have to. Something that has to be learned. It has to be learned. What's your next song, Miss? Madam? I always wanted, I never married. Mm. And Billy Joel has a song that I used to think if I ever marry, this is what I would like to either have as my, my waltz 
or walking down the aisle. Oh, I'm not even going to tell you the name of it. No, don't. Do you mind if I just play? Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org.au. Why do you like that for uh, your wedding song? I look now. I'm. Do a you sing- think you ever will get married? Would you ever? I can never say never. Mm. You know, it's it's one of those things. I've said no. I'd never jump out of a plane, and I've done it. So <laughs> so, how do you really know? My yeah. crystal ball has not always been clear. There's been a lot of fog. Yeah, and uh, it's getting clearer, but. I think you've just got to wait and see, you know. There's some things in life that are a surprise. And you were saying now that you're a marriage celebrant, do you ever suggest this a song to the people that you're talking to? That well, you're... I'm training. I'm mm. in training. I've nearly finished my course mm. and I've just got some practical to go now. But I just think if you're taking vows to marry someone, and I know marriage, we take people take vows to till death us do part. Death us do part is a long time, and especially mm. when these when marriage vows, when, when people first married, people were dead by the time they were 40. So mm. you're not, death us do part is not very long, but people live to 80s, 90s and 100s, and it's not uncommon yeah. to be 50, 60, 70 years married. Yeah. But I think if you're going to take a wedding vow, these are that song's really... It's not about clever conversation or about changing your hair. It's about growing together and being together and enjoying each other. And if if you're not doing that, then why are you married? Have you seen examples of that? I happen to have a, some family members that they've just created beautiful marriages. How, My sister, how have they done it? I think because they work as a team. Yeah. And they're not their expectations of each other. Did your mum and dad have a marriage like that? Um, I wouldn't say it was idyllic, but they were married for 64 years. Oh. But I just see my sister and my nieces, and, you know, their marriages are, they work as teams. And I don't hear them say a bad word about their partners. Mm. I'm, I'm not in a room where they're going, oh, you know, he drives me nuts with this. I, they support one another. And I, I, I think anyone who... A healthy marriage is the one where people are open and talk about the things that bother them in a in a manner that's not arguments or but they they get it off their chest and they move on. I heard a interview thing once about some studies that were done and people able to say which marriages would last and which wouldn't. And the ones which wouldn't last were when somebody did a bit of an eye roll, you know, or the equivalent to oh he's driving or she's driving me crazy. If there was any scorn any sensation of scornfulness or um, being fed up with the other person, then it was going to go downhill. Yeah. So maybe that's something to work at. I don't know. Well, I'm not married and never have been, but I believe you do have to work at a marriage. It's like a friendship. You have to work at a friendship too. And in my life there's been some friends that we've parted ways and I think that's just a natural progression in life. And... You know, sometimes it's unfortunate, but, you know, so be it. What about the friendships you have now? Do you find they're different now that you're older? Yes, and I love some of the friendships I have now, especially through swimming, because there's 
a sense of like-mindedness, but we don't live in each other's pockets mm. and we respect one another as That's individuals. Right. That's the word. That was what yeah, they were saying. We, we respect, respect one and, and I think respect is a huge of huge importance in our lives. All these sweet old-fashioned things like yeah. courtesy, respect, good manners. Yeah, and, you, you know, there's always – people must go sometimes, I mean, oh, my God, she drives me crazy, but then – the same for me, and that's just natural too, isn't it? And forgiveness, that's something forgiveness. I'm trying to learn as I get older. I think I actually understand what it means. I used to think, well, what on earth does that mean, forgiveness? I don't know what that could feel like. But I think it is forgetting, getting over something and, and treating somebody else with respect. What do yeah. you think? Oh, definitely. Definitely getting over it, respect. Move on. Don't keep bringing it up. They talk about people that keep bringing something up. If you keep bringing mm. something up and bringing something up, it's like treading on old ground and it becomes monotonous. Mm. Let it go. And you're you making know. those neurological pathways just yeah. go around, yeah. around, 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 around. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about not giving up and changing, you've done a, a lot of changing and, and reinventing yourself. Talk me through the progression of... The life of if we're doing a television series, what would each episode be? Oh my gosh, I reinvention. I, I think I am the master of reinvention, <laughs> and and has it been painful or is it easy for you or a bit of mix? For me, it's been easy. Mm. The latest reinvention, I've had to work a lot harder because it's something that I've had to do a lot of work to do. But mm. I, I moved from from teachers' college to working on ships to working in the ski fields, but I had to learn to ski. And I managed to do all of that, but then I went teaching. Then I decided to go out into the corporate world and... So it sounds like you didn't want to be a statistic either. No. This is the path that a person no. follows. and yeah. I remember my father saying when I left teaching, don't ever come home asking for money when you, you know, you're leaving teaching, you've got a good career. And my brother-in-law said, well, you know, sometimes you've got to do other things, Leon, let, let up on her. But when I left teaching, I landed into the film industry by just a conversation and I ended up working what, with what kids happened? for what 10 years. Oh, one of my friends put my name down to work looking after kids on a film. Without you knowing about no, it? No, without me knowing. <laughs> and she was a production manager and that was the way I went for 10 years. And 10 I, years? 10 years. And then I came back and did some corporate relocations and a lot of casual teaching. And I thought I better get a real job. So when I was 44, I started looking for sales roles. And I've been in Why the one sales? I'm in. Oh, I thought it. I needed a company car and I'm, yeah. I like... You're very good at it. And so. I like communication yeah. and I've been where I am now for 18 years. Wow. But the latest reinvention is a lot harder, being becoming an author and working into um, making a career out of, you know, more for my future mm. um, and for the future. Because I never want to retire. Mm. But when I don't have to have a day job anymore it would be very nice to be able to do the things that i i enjoy doing like what well my aging fearlessly business yeah. and and working. what made you decide to do that where did that spring from well doing a course and uh studying and part of it was you had to publish a book and i you had to publish part of the course you, part of the course and you had three months to write you had basically you had a, you were on a one month thirty thousand words in one month and 
just planning it and being taught how to plan it and having a central question and going out there and deciding what chapters and my book didn't even have a name till I'd finished it mm. and I'd get it. What was the working title? Book. <laughs> yeah, I don't book. know. Yeah. Aging Disgracefully was one I want, but you have gone Google how many Aging Disgracefully books Is there are. Right? There's a million. I think Fearlessly is great. Yeah, it's so I, got, I started just playing around. I like to play, you know, like brainstorming, a mm. bit of an old art paper and write words and put them together. And At two o'clock in the morning from what I hear. I can't even, I don't even know where it came from in the end, but I loved it. And then my tagline is face your future. There's two taglines. There's ageing is inevitable, growing older choice, and face your future as in you're facing your future but also looking, you know, looking and understanding your future. So it's sort of, Mm. it was a bit of a double barrel. And what's the next one? Ah, it is a secret. We're talking about it. It might have something Give to do with radio sort of interviews. Oh, that's a great idea. Mm. It's a, but it's a secret. It's only, it's not quite born yet. So it's just it's dating just being somewhere. Conceived. Okay, <laughs> it's in conception. Oh. I have another song. Oh, what? Can I just play it, please? You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. What do you think? Oh, beautiful. Love that song. Why did you choose that? Tell me about your tapestry. Well, I just think we all, not just me, not just you, everybody's life's a tapestry. It's rich Mm. and colourful. And we weave it as we go. We weave it from the day we're born to the day we die. And I love Carol King. And I was talking with one of my friends the other day about a night being in a car in my car and we were singing, you know, The Earth Moves and um, all the different songs from Carol King. Fantastic. That is probably one of the best albums of my late teens, early 20s. It was just such I think it's one of the best albums ever. Oh, she's brilliant. And yeah. I was just telling you while the music was playing that I saw her with James Taylor. And I think it was at the Entertainment Centre, but it was very small theatre there. Wow. And they, you know, their story together and how they've written so many songs together. Mm. And I have seen her many, many times play live. And... She's just a brilliant artist. Mm. And her songs, everybody knows the words. Yeah, that's right. So, all part yeah, of I our just lives. really, really enjoy it. And, and I love that idea of the life being a tapestry. And, and, and what I also love is if it's like a Persian carpet that in order to stop it being perfect, you weave in some flaws so it doesn't have to be a flawless tapestry. Yeah, so look. It's just such an appropriate song. It's For me, it's an appropriate song. And Thank you for sitting on the other side of the microphone and uh, talking about your life. It was wonderful to hear. Well, thank you, Izzy. There's it's so much more, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But like for all of us, we could go on and on and on. I could talk for hours. But <laughs> Izzy, thanks for interviewing me. Thanks for being and interviewed. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I've had Izzy in today interviewing me for a change, turning the tables. And Izzy Kirk, you're wonderful.
Ditto. Ditto to you too. Cheers. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide Live out our dreams Just you and me Let your heart be alive There's no time to waste Gotta go get the most This treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart be alive Baby, just let your heart come alive Honey, let your heart be alive